Okay, uh, if you will, uh, you'll notice open your booklet to the page that begins with uh, definition and purpose of observation. And so we're going to look at the need for observation uh, tonight. Do you not have one? She's got it. She coming? Okay. <laughs> No, this is uh, same same booklet. Uh, so we, what, this is what we're going to do tonight. We're going to we're going to look at the importance of uh, good observation skills. Uh, that may sound like, oh well, you know, who can't do that? Uh, we, uh, in fact, most Bible students I have ever known, uh, including me when I started, uh, were terrible at good, good, really observing the text well. Uh, we, we read over things, especially parts of a text that we're accustomed to reading or that is uh, fairly familiar to us. We read it fairly rapidly. Uh, if somebody says, we'll look at that more carefully, uh, we're still missing all kinds of things. We're impatient. Uh, patience is really big to be a good observer of the text. Uh, so it is, it's incredibly important we talk about this and we're going to do an exercise tonight that will help us all be better at the way we observe a text. So <clears throat> just, just uh, out of just beginning here, talk a few things, just a few simple things uh, about this uh, before we get into our exercise. And, and the first thing is, is observation just goes beyond something that is just being uh, aware or whatever. It, it's real perception. You want to know everything in the text. Uh, you want to see it. You want to be aware of its presence in the text. That's the most important thing. If you're not aware of the presence of everything in the text, then you are going to easily miss things, uh, read over it too quickly, not pay attention to some of the key points of the text. So it, it, it really involves knowing and seeing what's there. And, and I can tell you it really takes training to make your eyes and your brain do this, to, to slow down and see things in the text. So you want to become saturated with all the particulars of a, particular, of, a, of a passage. It's like if I quoted to some of you Peter's statement in the end of his sermon in Acts 2, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises to you and your children, all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So there's a, a, a common text for a lot of people. They've read it a lot. It's right there in the beginning of Acts. And yet there are a ton of things in that uh, that we would read over really rapidly and not be able to actually explain. As many as the Lord our God shall call in the name of Jesus Christ. 
The promise is to you and your children, all are far off. These are critical parts of that text and would have meant a lot to the people who were originally hearing it. And a lot of times we, we read the passage, we know some of those things, but we were not thinking deeply enough about, well, what does that mean? How does that apply? How does that fit? Uh, what is really being said to that original audience? So we want to be saturated with all the particulars of a text. There isn't anything in the Bible that you would say that uh, God just wasted some inspiration paper here. You know, he's just like, oh, I thought I'd throw a few other things out, you know, or something like that. It's just not the way God operates. So there's three things that are prerequisites to good observation skills. The first is you want to see it. It's the will to actually observe a text. It's the desire to see it. So when you sit down to read and when you sit down to study, how much do you really want to find new things? I would suggest to you that if you were looking, if somebody said to you, uh, look, uh, uh, well, just like in Arkansas, there's, I never was there, but there was, there's some place where they have diamonds. You know, that you, you can go out and dig in the dirt and all this, and you can find maybe flex or you can find little things. And if somebody gave you a pile of dirt and said, there are diamonds in this, and they're worth a lot of money, how carefully would you look? Well, you've already told you they're there. You know, it's not like maybe they're there, maybe they're not. No, they're there. How carefully are you going to look? You can take big shovels fulls and go, ah. <laughs> no, you, you're really going to look carefully. Well, this is exactly what's happening when you study your Bible. There's gold nuggets, there's diamonds all the way through this. There is beautiful things that are about God and who He is and are going to enrich you and are going to just send you to the moon with excitement. And it takes careful searching. I really have to want it. Uh, I love the text here in 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 9 and 10 where Paul is warning us against, against falling into false teaching or against being led away by deception. And he says the coming of the lawless one. He's talking about a huge apostasy away from the faith that's going to happen by the end of the first and second centuries. And he says, the, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. There's a whole bunch of deception that's going to be thrown on the page here. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Now, why are they going to perish? You see it in the text? What's, what's going to be the key? They don't love the truth. That's right. They don't love the truth. Truth is a very difficult thing to love. Can somebody tell me why? We can mentally, theoretically say, oh yeah, we all love the truth. No, we don't. That's exactly. Truth is one of those things that's extremely narrow. It does not care who, who it whacks in the face. It does not care about your former beliefs. It does not care what culture believes. It doesn't care if the world doesn't see it. Truth is truth. It's absolute. It's, it stays there. If the whole world thought that you couldn't fall off of an Empire State Building and kill yourself, it wouldn't change the fact that if you jump off, you're going to kill yourself. I mean, it's just truth doesn't care. 
It is the way it is. And so we have to love it so much that we're going to allow it to mess our life up in order to put ourselves in conjunction with Jesus. And that is a hard thing to do, especially when we grew up in a particular way, learning a particular belief, and things in the Bible then challenges us with that. What are we going to do with it? And, and he clearly says here, the people who are going to perish are those who don't love the truth to be saved. In fact, I didn't put the next verse up, which says, God, in fact, will help you along. If you don't love the truth, he will send you a strong delusion that will cause you to believe a lie and be lost. And if you don't believe that, you can see examples of it in the Old Testament with Ahab and others. If you don't love the truth, God's glad to have you not be there because he's looking for people who love the truth. This is a really hard concept. You have to want it with all of your heart. And it's, that's really, really... It, you, when you think about that, consider the majority of Jesus' own people, the Jews. The majority, and Paul says this, the majority are lost. And yet they had 1,500 years of prep to, for the Messiah, and they lost their souls. And even to this day, because they don't love the truth. That's Jesus' words. They desired their own righteousness and not the righteousness that God offered. So this is strong, strong things. And we have to, you know, it's like a bucket of ice water right in your face. <laughs> if you have an opinion or an idea of how you think the passage should be, when you hear somebody present that, even though you're going to believe it, because yeah. that's what you want. Yeah. To believe, even it's not true. Preconceptions are, we all have them, and they're very, very difficult to overcome. And, but Jesus expected it. I mean, he was frustrated. When he came, he teaches the people and they do not accept. So the second thing is, is there's the need for exactness in observation. Uh, I, I love this little story. It's, it's, a, it's actually a true story. And uh, I don't know if I have it in your sheet or not. Uh, Sir William Osler, the eminent physician, always sought to impress a on young medical students the importance of observing details. While stressing this point in the lecture before a student group, he indicated a bottle on his desk. This bottle contains a sample for analysis, he announced. It is possible by testing it to determine the disease from which the patient suffers. Suiting actions to words, he dipped a finger into the fluid and then into his mouth. Now, he continued, I am going to pass the bottle around. Each of you taste the contents as I did and see if you can diagnose the case. As the bottle was being passed from row to row, each student gingerly poked his finger in and bravely sampled the contents. Osler then retrieved the bottle. Gentlemen, he said, now you will understand what I mean when I speak about details. Had you been observant, you would have seen that I put my index finger into the bottle, but my middle finger into my mouth. <laughs> As a matter of fact, there is a physician up in Bowling Green. I did this series about six, well, about 10 years ago, I guess, at Bowling Green. And he came up to me afterwards. He said, I had a professor did the same thing to me. And he says it was actual sample, and he had us dipping our, he, we didn't pay attention to which finger he dipped. And uh, he said, we all learned a valuable lesson. I said, I bet you did. <laughs> One of those things. So exactness in observation. Pay attention to the details. And again, it's easy to read over these things. The third thing is persistence. I would suggest to you that this is probably out of all of them, one of the most important. 
certainly have to have the will and exactness, but you have to have persistence. Persistence is what enables you to see things that you wouldn't have seen in the first few minutes or even in, in sometimes in the first hour or even sometimes in the first years that you're studying. Persistence is extremely important. A great little uh, uh, a poem here, peering into the mist gray that should surface uh, the, uh, that shroud the surface of the bay. Nothing I see except a veil of fog surrounding every sail. Then suddenly against a cape, a vast and silent form takes place. A great ship lies against the shore where nothing has peered before. Who sees a truth must often gaze into a fog for many days. It may even seem very sure to him. Nothing is there but mist clouds dim. Then suddenly his eyes will see a shape where nothing used to be. Discoveries are missed each day by men who turn too soon away. That really uh, meant a lot to me because living in San Diego for a long time, you could go down to the bay and there's huge battleships and things like this. And when there was a foggy time, you, you, you'd think there was nothing there. I mean, you look a little more carefully and suddenly you would see this enormous uh, ship uh, parked along uh, the shore. All right, so we're going to, to do a little practice here. You turn your next page then to practicing observation skills. This uh, story comes out of Independent Bible Study by Irving Jensen. And I have, I have uh, first time I read it was like 45 years ago, something like that. And it, I remember it every time I study. I still, it still urges me on. I hope it'll do the same for you. It's a really great story. So here's how we're going to do this. I'm going to read out loud, and I'm asking you to follow along in your booklet with a pen or pencil and mark the things that you see in this story that teach you how to be a better observer of Scripture, how to be a better Bible student. Secondly, also look for things in the text and the story that will help you see what a good teacher does. So what's a good student do? What's a good teacher? So you're going you're to see a story about a professor and a student. You're going to learn things from the professor. You're going to learn things from what the professor teaches the student and what the student learns. So we'll read it, mark what you see, and at the end, then I'll ask you what you saw, and we'll discuss then the story. <clears throat> All right, so here, here we go. It was more than 15 years ago that I entered the laboratory of Professor Agassiz and told him I'd enrolled my name in the scientific school as a student of natural history. He asked me a few questions about my object in coming, my antecedents generally, the mode in which I afterwards proposed to use the knowledge I might acquire, and finally, whether I wished to study any special branch. To the latter, I replied that while I wished to be well-grounded in all departments of zoology, I purposed to devote myself specifically to insects. When do you wish to begin, he said. Now, I replied. This seemed to please him, and with an energetic very well, he reached from a huge shelf, a shelf, a huge jar of specimens in yellow alcohol. Take this fish, said he, and look at it. We call it a hemulon, and by and by uh, I will ask you what you have seen. With that he left me, but in a moment returned with explicit instructions as to the care of the object entrusted to me. No man is fit to be a naturalist, said he, who does not know how to take care of specimens. <clears throat> um, 
I was, I was uh, to keep the fish before me in a tin tray and occasionally motion the surface with alcohol from the jar, always taking care to replace the stopper tightly. Those were not the days of ground glass stoppers and elegantly shaped exhibition jars. All the old students will recall the huge necklace glass bottles with the leaky wax besmeared corks, half eaten by insects and begrimed with cellar dust. Entomology was a cleaner science than ichthyology, but the example of the professor who had unhesitatingly plunged to the bottom of the jar to produce the fish was infectious. And though this alcohol had a very ancient and fish-like smell, I really dared not show any aversion within these precincts and treated the alcohol as though it were pure water. Still, I was conscious of a passing feeling of disappointment, for gazing at a fish did not commend itself to an ardent entomologist. My friends at home, too, were annoyed when they discovered that no amount of cologne would drown the perfume which haunted me like a shadow. In ten minutes, I had seen all that could be seen in that fish and started in search of the professor, who had, however, left the museum. And when I returned, after lingering over some of the odd animals stored in the upper apartment, my specimen was dry all over. I dashed the fluid over the fish as if to resuscitate it from a fainting fit and looking with anxiety for a return of the normal sloppy appearance. This little excitement over nothing was to be done but return to the steadfast gaze of my mute companion. Half an hour passed, an hour, another hour. The fish began to look loathsome. I turned it over and around, looked it in the face, ghastly, from behind, beneath, above, sideways, a three-quarters view, just as ghastly. I was in despair. At an early hour, I concluded that lunch was necessary, so with infinite relief, the fish was carefully placed in the jar, and for an hour I was free. On my return, I learned that the professor had been at the museum but had gone and would not return for several hours. My fellow students were too busy to be disturbed by continued conversation. Slowly, I drew forth that hideous fish, and with a feeling of desperation again looked at it. I might not use a magnifying glass. Instruments of all kinds were interdicted. My two hands, my two eyes, and the fish. It seemed a more limited field. I pushed my finger down its throat to feel how sharp its teeth were. I began to count the scales in different rows until I was convinced that that was nonsense. At last, a happy thought struck me. I would draw the fish. And now, with surprise, I began to discover new features in the creature. Just then, the professor returned. That is right, said he. A pencil is one of the best eyes. I am glad, too, to notice that you keep your specimen wet and your bottle corked. With these encouraging words, he added, well, what is it like? He listened attentively to my brief rehearsal of the structure of the parts, whose names were still unknown to me, the fringe gill, arches, and movable opacurum, the pores of the head, fleshy lips and lidless eyes, the lateral line, the spinous fin, and <clears throat> forked tail, the compressed and arched body. When I had finished, he waited as if expecting more, and then with an air of disappointment, you have not looked very carefully. Why, he continued more earnestly. You haven't seen one of the most conspicuous features of the animal, which is as plainly before your eyes as the fish itself. Look again. Look again. And he left me to my misery. I was piqued. I was mortified. Still more of that wretched fish. 
But now I set myself to a task with a will and discovered one new thing after another until I saw how just the professor's criticism had been. The afternoon passed quickly, and when toward its close, the professor inquired, do you see it yet? No, I replied, I'm certain I do not, but I see how little I saw before. That is next best, said he earnestly. But I won't hear you now. Put away your fish and go home, and perhaps you'll be ready with a better answer in the morning. I will examine you before you look at your fish. This was disconcerting. Not only must I think of my fish all night studying without the object before me, what this unknown but most visible feature might be, but also without reviewing my discoveries, I must give an exact account of them the next day. I had a bad memory. So I walked home by Charles River in a distracted state with my two perplexities. The cordial greeting from the professor the next morning was reassuring. Here was a man who seemed to be quite as anxious as I that I should see for myself what he saw. Do you perhaps mean, I ask, that the fish has symmetrical sides with paired organs? Is thoroughly pleased, of course, of course, repaid the wakeful hours of the previous night. After he had discoursed most happily and enthusiastically, as he always did, upon the importance of this point, I ventured to ask what I should do next. Oh, look at your fish, he said, and left me again to my own devices. In a little more than an hour, he turned, returned and heard my new catalog. That is good, that is good, he repeated, but that is not all, go on. And so for three long days, he placed that fish before my eyes, forbidding me to look at anything else or use any artificial aid. Look, 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 was his repeated injunction. This was the best entomological lesson I ever had. A lesson whose influence is extended to the details of every subsequent study, a legacy the professor has left to me, as he has left to many others of inestimable value which we could not buy with which we cannot part. A year afterward, some of us were amusing ourselves, uh, but with chalking outlandish beasts upon the museum blackboard. We drew prancing starfishes, frogs in mortal combat, hydra-headed worms, stately crawfishes standing on their tails, bearing aloft umbrellas, and grotesque fishes with gaping mouths and staring eyes. The professor came in shortly after and was amused as any at our experiments. He looked at the fishes. <clears throat> Hemulons, every one of them, he said. Mr. So-and-so drew them. <coughs> True, and to this day, if I attempt to draw a fish, I can draw nothing but hemulons. <laughs> the fourth day, a second fish of the same group was placed beside the first, and I was bidden to point out the resemblances and differences between the two. Another and another followed until the entire family lay before me, and a whole legion of jars covered the table and surrounding shelves. The odor had become a pleasant perfume. And even now, the sight of an old six-inch worm-eaten cork brings fragrant memories. The whole group of the hemulons was thus brought in review, and whether engaged upon the dissection of the internal organs, the preparation and examination of the bony framework, or the description of the various parts, Agus's training in the method of observing facts and their orderly arrangement was ever accompanied by the urgent exhortation not to be content with them. Facts 
are stupid things, he would say, until brought into connection with some general law. At the end of eight months, it was almost with reluctance that I left these friends and turned to insects. But what I had gained by this outside experience has been of greater value than years of later investigation in my favorite groups. Okay, go back to the beginning of the story. Let's see what you marked, what you noticed uh, that were important, either about how the professor handled his teaching or about how the student learned good observation skills. So, what did you discover? What did you see in the story? First thing I noticed was the professor questioned him to see what his interest level was. Yeah, okay. So, a good teacher wants to find out where the guy is. <laughs> he wants to find out where his interest level is. Does he have a passion, the excitement? When he's asked, when do you want to begin? He says, now. Well, hey, that's what you want to hear. Not like, well, yeah, maybe next week or something, you know. No, he's excited about beginning to learn. And so that's a real good point, real good point. He's starting where this man is. He's trying to see what he needs. Good. What else did you see? Can't go wrong here. I'm expecting everybody to join in. Next thing he said, we gave him the fish just to look at it. Okay, so here's your fish. Look at it. <laughs> look at your fish. And what was his repeated admonition every time he got together with him? Look, look, look. He's really teaching him a persistence. Look, look, look. Good. What else do you notice? Yeah, so he's, he's already preparing him. When you look, you're going to have to be able to give a catalog of what you're seeing. So he's preparing him to start looking, hopefully looking carefully, because the professor is going to come back and want to know what he saw. Okay, good. You can imagine that, by the way, somebody hands you a text and says, in 10 minutes, I'm going to come back and ask you what you saw. And you're going to get done with that, and the person's going to say what the professor said. Oh, that's pretty good, but there's still more. I'll leave and come back a little later. And that keeps happening. And he keeps saying, no, you can't go to another text because you haven't seen everything that's here yet. That's a stronger and stronger motivation, isn't it? What did the professor not do? He didn't give him the answer. That's exactly right. He made him, he made him really work for it. Okay. Pardon? And he didn't give him a workbook with questions. <laughs> That's exactly right. What did you see when you looked at the gills? <laughs> no. He forced him to discover for himself. In fact, he mentions that. The professor was interested in as he was as excited about him seeing it for himself and instead of him just telling him. There's a difference, isn't there, in what you're going to remember. But he did point him to the right direction. Yeah. He kept telling him what he needed to do. Look, look, look. <laughs> That's not enough. You still haven't found it. Good. All right. What else? Kevin? Yeah, yeah. But when he started discovering things, he got more excited about it. 
Exactly. Both the student and the professor. So, and when he starts seeing more, then he's getting into it more. And the professor, as a teacher, you can see how encouraging he was. He would get all excited about what he saw and, and, and talk about it and talk about the importance of it. So, it was, it was, this guy, as was said in the end, he had used that method for thousands of students over the years, but he's still just as excited as he was with this man as he had been from the very beginning. So that's an important principle. Okay, what else? The attention span for observation grew over time. Good, good. Uh, how long had he looked at it when he thought he'd seen everything there was to see? Ten minutes. How long do you eventually have to look at the fish? Three days. Yeah, three days. Exactly, it's an observation. <laughs> On the fourth day, you got another fish. But yeah, three full days, one fish. Who would have thought that it would take you three days to see everything in that one fish? That is pretty amazing. So he forces him to look, 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 and that's going to grow his observation skills so that the next time he's not going to be so lazy. And, and how he looks at it. He's, he's, he's going to have a better understanding of what it's going to take to see that, see everything in the text. I see Christians doing this all the time. Same kind of thing. In 10 minutes, they think they've seen everything in the text. Um, no, you haven't. <laughs> Guarantee you haven't. I don't care what text it is. <laughs> Guarantee you haven't seen everything in the text. <laughs> yeah, you haven't seen everything in the text or grappled with all the things that are involved in that. Okay, good. What else? What else? I, I, I think the final, the last paragraph on the first page, the principle that you can, you can learn something about another thing by observing something different. He says, uh, I underline this sentence, I was, con I was conscious of a passing feeling of disappointment for gazing at a fish did not commend itself to an ardent entomologist. In other words, I wanted to be an expert in insects. Yeah. Why am I looking at a fish? Exactly. What am I going to learn from that? That's exactly. a very valuable principle there. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, the professor, knowing what he's doing, starts with something. I mean, you'd imagine how much more intricate maybe an insect is going to be as a, uh, compared to a fish, and yet he's teaching him how to look using the fish, and then he's going to transition him to something more challenging and more difficult. Good. Which he will never forget what he said. That's right. He said that, that stuck with him all of his career. Good. What does that remind you of biblically? <laughs> no, a little different. But he makes him, given a category, catalog of the, what he's seen, the next morning before he looks at his fish, what did he actually do that would be a biblical word that he did all night? Meditation. Okay, this is where you walk away and you keep working on it in your mind. Uh, it is, uh, that is an ability that was learned by the ancients that we have generally lost. The reason we, one of the reasons we've lost it 
is because they had to listen to the word read to them. Everybody didn't walk around with the Bible. And so they had to work hard at hearing correctly, hearing carefully, and then walking away. And they would literally mutter it back to themselves. They would, they would literally go and say the things they heard over and over again to themselves. And you will see that in Psalm 119 a lot and other places in the Psalms. Psalm 1, uh, how I, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Th these, are, these are critical statements that are important for us to relearn. And one of the reasons why uh, you need to keep your kids uh, limited on what they look at screens. Uh, the, 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 there's a lot of scientific evidence that just ruin them. That they, that they ruin their ability to concentrate very long and form images in their minds. Uh, this, this junk that's going on is, is really terrible. Uh, so <laughs> I don't know my two cents on that, but, uh, but those, uh, those screens and things that kids are looking at for hours and hours a day are extremely damaging, not only to them, but to adults as well. What else did you see? Yeah. He didn't let him use any other instruments. Good, good. You're not allowed to use magnifying glasses. You're not allowed to use anything else. You have to just you and the fish. None of those other things. Why would that be important and how would you parallel that to Bible study? Yeah. Yeah, you're not, you're not cheating, so to speak, by going outside of your own observations and learning and, and seeing for yourself what's there. You're not going to a commentary. You're not reading about what somebody else said or whatever. I always remember um, uh, uh, C.S. Lewis uh, in England when he was teaching uh, English Lit and he would teach Plato. And he said when he's going to give an, he was given an exam on it, he says his students would spend lengthy hours reading and studying what somebody said about Plato. And they would read large books about it and everything. And he said if, if the student only knew that Plato is far more intelligible than his modern commentator, just read Plato. <laughs> That's hard for us sometimes to do when we're, when we're studying uh, these things. And so uh, very, very uh, important. He doesn't let him have any of these other things, just you and the fish. Okay, what else? Gary, I was going to say, in the context of that little statement there, it's talking about all the things that he's doing. He's turning it over, he's looking at it upside down, he's sticking his finger in its mouth, he's drawing it. He's kind of, I think that's the really interesting thing about observation and exploration. He's not really sure, like, if any of these techniques are going to really teach him anything, but he's trying something. Exactly. That is a really important, I think, part of the text, uh, because uh, he's, he's exploring what means, what doesn't mean, what's going to help, what's not going to help. And that, that happens, I know it happens to me in Bible study all the time. I'm, I'm looking at something, I'm trying to figure it out, and, and I start exploring different things, and pretty soon I go, well, that's a 
dead end. <laughs> that, but I had to look. I had to find out. You know, I, I, might, uh, I might look at the, the text and say, I, I, wonder, I wonder if there's any nuances to the Greek meaning here. Uh, so I'll look up the Greek word and, and stuff, and, and I'll find out that uh, the word means exactly what it said it meant. You know, <laughs> it, was, it was nothing major. Okay, well, that was a dead end. Uh, let me look at something else. And there's just things like that when you're exploring and trying to observe. You're, you're going down paths that sometimes are not going to end up uh, to be beneficial. But you have to do it because of the chance that you're going to learn something new. Good. What else? Good. It's more than to just know the information you have to understand its purpose. That's right. So this is, a, this is a major lesson on Bible study. Facts are stupid things unless they're brought into connection with some general law. Uh, Christians have a bad habit of just learning facts. Just, just going through and learning facts. Okay, yeah, I know the story of this, the story of that, the Old Testament story of this and that. We go through it and we learn facts. Yeah, but those facts are meaningless until they're brought into connection with some general law. And uh, Jesus repeatedly, and New Testament writers repeatedly tell us there are messages there and that our story is found there and we are so, we're supposed to learn that. And it, it's, it's going to do everything about teaching us about what it means to follow Christ. And yet are we, are we learning that in the story of uh, David and Goliath or whatever? Or we, there should be things that we're seeing there. And so that's, that's very, very important. What else do you see? Similar to that, I really like the sentence, a pencil is one of the best options. That's right. That's right. Great, great statement. Uh, he's all excited. He finally, you know what, isn't that interesting that he doesn't tell the student, by the way, it'll help you if you draw this. He makes him grapple with that. He makes him work on that. And he comes back and he sees it, he goes, bingo. A pencil is one of the best eyes you have. When you start drawing it, you're going to see 10 times more than if you hadn't. So true about Bible study. You read your Bible without a pencil, without anywhere to mark or to note or whatever, and, and you are going to forget 98% of the stuff that you read. You need a pencil to mark and underline, which means that you need a Bible you're not afraid to mark in. I don't care if you bought a $100 Bible. Uh, in fact, you might have to spend that much to get one decent enough that has margins and bigger print and stuff that you can actually see well in order to do a good job of Bible study. What's $100 over a period of seven or eight years that you're going to massacre this Bible and then you get all excited because you get to get another one? You know, that's, uh, that, that's, it's just the best of the best. Discover. And beyond that too, expressing it uh, and sharing it. Exactly. Like several analogies you can expand upon with that and, and another great thing that the, that the professor's doing, he's not saying, okay, you know, don't you look at this fish for a number of weeks, I'm going to give you a final exam on it, and I'm never going to see you until that happens. No, he comes back every time, makes him tell him about it. That telling is what reinforces his observation. Great, great point. Exactly, Jerry. Yes, sir. Right. Uh, the other thought was um, 
ketchup in the refrigerator. Um, I would routinely ask, uh, is there my spouse, is there ketchup in the refrigerator? <laughs> and, and I was waiting on and yes, then I would keep looking. But if she said no, then I would stop looking. Yes. <laughs> so it helps to know that there is something to be found. Okay. And when the professor kept encouraging, he kept telling him, there's more, there's more, there's more. And it was like your, your diamonds analogy. Yes. He was saying, look, there's more there. You yeah. just have to keep looking. So that encouragement is, is helpful. And that, that's, that, isn't that so, that's so critical? What a, and a good, again, a great educator, a great teacher is, is, is going to keep saying things like, hey, great, I'm so glad you saw that. That's really, really important. Expound on it. But there's some more. Don't give up. Look, look, look. Right. Keep looking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the first time he was a little rebuking, wasn't he? Well, you, you missed the most important thing is sitting right in front of your eyes. I don't understand why you can't see this. Uh, you know, he's really getting him to, to get a, a will about him. Good. Anybody else? Yeah, that, that is that, the contrast between the morning on the first day and the afternoon. The morning seems to go on forever. <laughs> he is bored. He is done with it. And then when the professor, you know, really gets him and says, well, I don't know, you know, you're not seeing these things. Then the afternoon passes quickly. He starts drawing it. He starts seeing things. And then he, he really gets into it. Good. What else? Kind of along the line. First, he says it's misery. Good. Exactly. Uh, he, at first, it's just terrible. And then at the end, uh, what, did, what did he think about the smell and the fish and the whole thing in the beginning? Blah. What do you think about the smell and the fish at the end? Oh, it was with sadness that I parted from these fish and went on uh, to insects. Uh, and the smell became a sweet perfume. Like, like, you know, the time when my wife and I were out in in Fayetteville and out in the middle of nowhere and we we're looking we find a little tile shop that we can get some tile for our uh, for our kitchen and and uh, I got out of the car and I went there's a pig farm nearby I got to find that pig farm oh what a great smell that is just absolutely wonderful uh, it's just well, I, I grew up with that smell that is wonderful you know and you just everybody else would think pig oh sweet as it can be uh, so anyway, there, that it's it's just that kind of uh, kind of thing. Uh, what else? Just got a couple of minutes. Yeah. I think at the, again toward the end when he starts putting all the other fish on the table in the family and lines them up and it says he fills the table and then the shelves around him and they were able to, to look at the differences. Um, there's another great principle there that if you if you if you have a great familiarity with a standard can easily start to see differences from the standard. So if you start with the truth, it, it, gets, it gets easier to see things that are not synchronized or in line. Right, right. How to sync. Exactly. And not only that, know this one fish really well. Now let's put a next, second one next to it. So th I really think that's true with Bibles. I'm more convinced with this the, the older I am, that we spend too much time surfacing all of the books. Take one and, and spend months in it, 
so that you know it like this first fish. Then take the second one and lay it beside it. It'll make a huge difference to what you see and how you can fit these all together. How long did he look at the fish? And by the way, how long, with all the fish, how long was it before you went to insects? Eight months. Eight months. And it, I thought the professor was, was really good. He comes in, sees him drawing, and he says, oh yeah, I know who drew those. He can draw nothing but hemulons. And he says, yep. To this day, I can't draw anything but a hemulon. You can imagine after spending eight months with these kinds of fish. There, there's more things here. Look at it carefully. Uh, one of the things that continues to urge me on when I'm studying, and I get a little frustrated and I think, I don't know if there's anything else here. I'm like, stop, look, look, look. There's more here. It is amazing how much God has put uh, in, this, uh, in this relatively small uh, book. So good observation skills are, are, are critical, and we're going to rely on these as we go through the rest of the quarter, and hopefully uh, you will continue to rely on them as you go through the rest of your life uh, in your own personal Bible study. The pencil, the look, 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 the persistence, the comparisons and contrast, all of those things are critical. Very good. Thank you. Thank you for tonight. <clears throat>